1619, the first enslaved Africans were brought to America. And that, their arrival uh, basically marked the beginning of basically 250 years, almost 250 years of black people being sold and kidnapped from Africa, brought here, enslaved, uh, and then suffering in all sorts of different ways. Uh, families being split apart, uh, physical abuse, sexual exploitation, uh, years and years of oppression, centuries of oppression. Uh, then slavery ends, uh, and, but then it's not as if oppression went away. Jim Crow era begins, and for the next 100 years, black people lived under legalized racism, discrimination, oppression, uh, for another 100 years after the end of slavery. Uh, things begin to unwind in 1954. Uh, that's when the Supreme Court decision comes down to desegregate schools. But of course, there's still a lot of racial oppression uh, and segregation. It's another 20 years until we really begin to see major change in which desegregation goes away, in which other forms of legalized racism uh, are finally removed. Uh, so that's a long time. And you sort of see a chart like that, you realize this is most of our nation's history where we've had this, almost 350 years where there's been legalized racism and oppression. And so a question I ask regularly when I sort of think about this and study these, these, these type of things um, is, wow, how do people survive? <laughs> how do people endure this for as long as they did? And of course, historians continue to study this and think about this. Um, and while we can't speak uh, for everyone, one of the things we can say uh, particularly for those believers, those black believers back then, is they survived, they endured by faith in the Lord. Their faith in the Lord was significant, essential for how they were able to live through 350 plus years of legalized racism and oppression. Um, we've seen some of the ways in which that faith uh, was lived out in some of the key parts of that faith throughout the series. We began talking about how faith in the Lord was expressed through passionate worship, through worship of head and heart, and how essential that was for how they were able to endure. Um, we saw how those past brothers and sisters believed in a sovereign God uh, who they spoke of as being the way maker and the significance of believing in a God who can make a way when there is no way. This morning, we want to sort of bring one final piece into this, and it's this, that one of the ways in which believers in the past that we want to learn from today, uh, how they lived and endured through all those centuries, was believing that this life is not the only life there is. We have this life, yes, but there's another life, a next life, a life after death, a life with God in heaven. And in this heavenly life, all things are made right. In this heavenly life, there's finally an end to suffering, that instead of anger and violence and slavery and racism, there's love and peace and freedom. And it was important then for them back then, and I think still important for us today, to be able to have that perspective that says, okay, I see what today is, and it's not so good. I see what tomorrow is going to be, and, and it's also not so good, or maybe even worse. It may get better, but it may get worse. I see today, I see tomorrow, but one thing I know for sure, one day it will be better. One day it will all be better. It's this hope in heaven that we're talking about, and I want to have us consider this morning what it means to hope for heaven, to always have an eye towards heaven, to live in light of heaven. Now, in saying this, this isn't sort of a, an approach to, to, to life that is kind of like a grin and bear it type of approach. That's a critique some people have made 
of past believers, particularly black believers, uh, that they had sort of this hope for heaven that allowed them to sort of just take it, right? Be doormats. Uh, they're just sort of looking ahead to something that changes, so they just accepted how things were like. Uh, that's not what a hope for heaven really means. I mean, yes, we can and should make change now if we're able. Uh, we should pray for it. We should fight for it. We should always want better, and then we should seek better as the opportunity presents itself to make better happen that's around us. I mean, you actually see this in the Bible. You know, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is writing to those who were enslaved back then and, and, and telling them, if you're, the situation that you're in, you can be, you, you can be okay with it. Yes, you're a slave, but to this sort of perspective of trusting God in the situation that you're in and to not feel, I can't really follow God unless the situation changes. And yet, in that same chapter, as he's, you might say, well, he's just sort of telling those slaves, well, just, you know, just take it. In that same chapter, he says, but if you have the opportunity to be free, take it. <laughs> take advantage of it. Paul was writing very specifically, if you can be free, of course, be free. Seek freedom. Take advantage of the opportunity to be free. And so you see this in, in, in the, the believers in the past. Uh, so those who were enslaved, saying these songs about freedom, about, about heaven coming one day. Those same songs, though, it's wild to see this uh, if you sort of study this history. Those same songs had coded messages in them telling them, hey, here's where to go. Here's where to meet so we can escape for the north. Here's what we're going to do to get out. Even as they sang for heaven and, and those those who enslaved them thinking, oh, they're just waiting for heaven one day, didn't know they were singing coded messages for them to know where to go in order to free themselves. So yes, if you have the opportunity to bring change now, yes, bring change now. But here's, I think, where, where Christianity earns really what it is, what it's about. I think there's a lot of ways in which I like to sort of encourage people to understand why I believe in a biblical message. But one of the big ones for me, and you guys heard me say this over and over, is what we do when things can't change. Because there's a lot of things out there that says, here's what you need to do to make things change and make your life better and to get better. And the implication is, if you follow this well enough, it will be better for you. And you're st constantly striving for that. I think the more important question is, what do you do when it can't get better? When for the foreseeable future, it might not be better. For maybe your lifetime, it won't be better. What do you do then? That's the reality for a lot of people. Some parts of your life you can change. Other parts of your life you can't change. You don't know if it will change. What do you do then? Well, the answer is this. It's knowing that this life is not the only life there is. We have this life and we have the next life. And how we live this life is connected to the next life. That our faith in the Lord allows us to live this life in a way that guarantees what will happen in the next life. That leads us into the next life. And that faith in the Lord tells us this next life is a life with God in heaven. And what we live, how we live now, our faithfulness now, will lead us all the way there. So it's in that sense then, this life then becomes like an on-ramp to the heavenly life. And each of us will have an on-ramp, this life, the life you're living, into that new heavenly life. Some of you have steeper on-ramps than others. Some of you have some potholes in that on-ramp until you get to that heavenly life. Uh, some of us have barriers you got to get around to get into that heavenly life. But the Bible tells us, whatever that on-ramp is for you, it will lead eventually to that heavenly life. You can know it for sure. And so what it is to hope for heaven is to know your life is just ramping up into that heavenly life. How do you live now in light of that? A friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, Chris Davis, wrote a book, uh, I think it was last year, a great book worth reading, 
uh, about how we hope for heaven. The book's called Bright Hope for Tomorrow. And he uses a phrase in that book that I want to use for this morning. He says, basically, as Christians, what we do is hope fully for heaven. Notice the difference here. There's two words, hope fully for heaven. That's opposed to hopefully, one word, in heaven. The difference here is that when you say, I'm hopeful for something, it's more of like a wish. So, for example, uh, hopefully uh, I will win the lottery. (laughs) Hopefully uh, there won't be traffic on the way home. Hopefully that guy or girl will go out with me, right? That's a sense of what, this may or may not happen, it's kind of a wish, right? You can't know for sure what will happen, it's something you wish would happen. Christians, though, aren't doing hopefully when it comes to our faith. The Bible says we hope fully. And that means what we're doing is looking ahead to something that will for sure happen. And so what we're doing is anticipating it and preparing for it. We hope fully for something that we know will come. So, for example, uh, you may hope fully for Thanksgiving. Let's say Thanksgiving is your favorite holiday. And so what does that mean to hope fully for Thanksgiving? Well, November is coming, right? It's not going away. It's not erasing from my calendar. Thanksgiving holiday will happen, so you hope fully for that. You anticipate when November will come. And then as it gets closer, you prepare for it. You're preparing your house. You're getting the good food ready. You're preparing for it even as you anticipate for it to come, knowing that it will come. Let's say you're, you're getting mad at, married or you're, you're engaged and you're about to get married. You're going to hope fully for your wedding day. You anticipate it coming and you know it's going to come. It's a date on the calendar. And so as that day comes, you prepare for it. You're inviting guests. You're doing all the things that will lead for that day to eventually come. And eventually that day comes. So Christians, what we do is we hope in heaven. We hope knowing that heaven and all that God has promised for heaven is going to come. It will come into this world. Heaven will come. The Bible says heaven and earth will merge together into this new heavenly world, and it will last forever. And what we do as Christians, we anticipate that and we prepare for that. To anticipate it is to say, I know this is where we're going. I know what this life looks like now, but I know that day is coming. As sure as a date is on the calendar, that day is coming. We anticipate that coming, but then we prepare for it as well, don't we? So how we live now shows how we look ahead to it. Knowing that whatever you do that's of of heaven now will only last and grow once that day comes. So that's what we want to do. What does it mean for us to hope fully? And I'm going to sort of draw out three ways in which we hope fully in heaven. Things specifically we should hope for, should anticipate and prepare for when it comes to this new heavenly world that we're going to enter into. So we look at some passages that speak to that, but also do that, as we've been doing throughout the series, looking at the testimonies of those past brothers and sisters of ours, the past uh, Believers from the historic black church. Uh, this morning, what we'll do is specifically look at the songs that come from that tradition, and particularly the Negro spirituals. Those of you who are not familiar with those, these are songs that were sung during the time of slavery, but also during the time of Jim Crow. And in these songs, what you see is a lot of what those past believers understood about God, how they related to God, what they believed about God in life. And one of the things, there's a lot of different themes that show up in those spirituals. You remember we did a series through a couple spirituals. The theme I want to pull for this morning, of course, is how those spirituals spoke of heaven. And, and at least three things that I see there that are helpful for us that we should anticipate and prepare for when we hope fully in heaven. So number one, to hope fully for heaven is to hope fully for justice. To hope fully for justice. Here's what the Bible says we should anticipate. This is Psalm 11, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. 
He loves righteous deeds, or another translation there is he loves justice. The word there can be translated justice. The upright shall behold his face. Think, understand what it's saying there. This is who God is. He's righteous. He's just. And if you want to see his face, which is when are we going to see his face? When he comes back, right? When heaven comes, if you want to see his face, you've got to be about the same thing. You've got to be about justice because God is going to establish justice and righteousness. Isaiah 51 says this. Give attention to me, my people. This is God speaking. And give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out for me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. And my arms will judge the peoples. He's going to bring justice to this world. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Verse 6 of Isaiah 51. My salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. God will bring salvation to this world. Righteousness and justice is going to last. It's going to be established. So the Bible is saying this is what you should expect. This is what you should anticipate. And so to anticipate this, to expect this, says something about how we live now, doesn't it? If this is what's coming, the Bible at the same time then, not surprisingly, says here's how you prepare for it. Live justly now in light of the God of justice who's coming. Be a people of justice now. If we, want, if we belong to God and God is the God of justice, then this shows that we belong to God, doesn't it? We're just people. We're a righteous people, like the God who saved us. So Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? I mean, it doesn't get any more simple than this. It answers it. But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Be like the God you serve and the God who's coming back and will establish these things. Isaiah 1.17 says this. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. I take these verses to say, like, we should notice those who are most vulnerable. <laughs> those back there, the fatherless, the widow, I mean, those are the people right on the edge of survival. Stand up for them, notice them, care for them. This is the God you have, this is the God you serve. Here's, we prepare, we anticipate God's justice one day, and here's how we prepare for it. Here's how we hope fully in what the Lord will do. And we see this matched in the songs of those past believers. Um, remember, 350 years of oppression, of, of violence. I mean, how do you sort of, how do you bear under that? <laughs> it's knowing that there's a God of justice who will bring a day of judgment. And so we see an anticipation for God to come and, yes, to judge, <laughs> to bring his justice, knowing that God would judge them and he would judge fairly, such that their cause would be upheld. They would know that righteousness would prevail. So here's a lyric for one of the songs. We have a just God to plead our cause, to plead our case, to plead our cause. We have a just God to plead our cause. We are the people of God. Now, let's think about this. They're believers who are being enslaved by people who say they're believers. <laughs> and you notice what's happening here in the singing of this song. We are the people of God to the degree in which just things and right things are happening. So if people who are enslaving us aren't doing this way, they're not the people of God. We are the people of God. And we know they're people of God because we know that God is just and will see what's happening and will plead our cause. The implication, of course, in this is get right with God now. Get right with God now. Follow him now. Follow him now in the ways of justice and righteousness or face his justice one day. Face his judgment one day. 
and know to face his judgment means punishment because you have not followed God in the right way. That's why I love this is another spirit, uh, lyric from a spiritual. This is basically the spiritual just says this over and over again. Everybody talking about heaven that ain't going there. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> and this song is basically saying this over and over. <laughs> what I love about that song is, and again, sometimes I think it's interesting. We wonder, what do they think? What did they feel back then? Well, this, this is what they sang. One of the songs they sang throughout uh, slavery and Jim Crow. It's a recognition that just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. I mean, there's a Bible verse about this, isn't it? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will be welcomed by me. And so, and then again, this is the, I think, the miraculous work of the Lord, how people who were brought here didn't know the language of this country, uh, many of whom not taught to read or write, God still brought a way for them to understand the real truths of Scripture. <laughs> and one of the most powerful truths of Scripture, something that the Bible says over and over again, is just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you're really a Christian. It's shown your faith in the Lord should be shown by how you live for the Lord. And so they saw the hypocrisy there. You could say, well, God created us all, and yet look how you treat us. Look how you oppress us. Right? It says something, right? It says something for them. It says something for us today, doesn't it, as well? <laughs> Especially in a day where uh, many people are easy in using the word, I'm a Christian. I follow God. I follow Jesus. Um, I think our past brothers and sisters would say, you got to do more than that. <laughs> it's not enough to say those things. There's a way in which you must live those things. And we live those things, especially when we live in accordance with the God who we follow, which is to say he's a God of justice and righteousness. And so that future day of justice is one we got to look forward to. It is one that I think then speaks to how we live, isn't it? And I think one of the things I, I know, you'll notice from those past believers isn't so much like the, all of them out there need to get right. They also sang songs about we want to be right with the Lord too. Here's what uh, one of those songs says. Oh, my Lord's coming again. Oh, my Lord's coming again. He's coming to judge the world. He's coming to judge the world. Well, you better put off lying shoes. You better put off lying shoes. Better put off lying shoes for maybe last time, I don't know. I think what you're seeing is a, a, a kind of really deep theology here when you put those two together, which is to say this. I mean, first of all, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like to think or talk about judgment and justice and those type of things. And I think only those who don't like to talk about those things probably haven't faced enough injustice in their life. Those who have around the world today, but especially those in the past who've faced a lot of injustice, are quite willing <laughs> to talk about justice. They yearn for it. They beg for it. But what you see here is an understanding that we've got to go deeper. God's coming to judge. He's coming to judge all those who oppress us, but he's also coming to judge my heart. And I want to have a lying heart. I want to be right with God. It was understanding that I need to be right with God now because he's coming. He's coming, and I believe he's coming with justice and righteousness, and I'll be right with him. And so I anticipate that. You should expect that, and you should look forward to that, but how you prepare for that now? By faith in the Lord, we want to stand rightly and justly before God, and we want to live rightly and justly before God, and especially in how we treat one another. So that's one of the ways in which we can live now in a way that's in light of heaven, to live justly and rightly, to be just and right before the Lord through Christ to live justly and rightly now, even as we look forward to his justice. The second way we hope fully for heaven is to hope fully for our home. See heaven as our ultimate home. So here's one of the things we want to anticipate. This is from John 14. Here's what we look forward to. Jesus is talking here. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So this is Jesus talking here. And what is he doing? He's promising a home one day with God and specifically with Jesus. And the imagery here is, imagine this is a place with many rooms. It's, we're all going to be together and there's enough space for everyone. And Jesus specifically is going to make sure it happens. Notice that last part. I will come again and I will take you there myself. That's God saying, I will make sure you get there. So anticipate this, expect this. And that where, that where I am, you may be also. And we'll be together. This will be a home. One of the worst sins of uh, that time of slavery in our country was the ways in which the enslaved would have their marriages and families split apart. Um, so imagine someone you love, you've married, you have children, and one day uh, your spouse gets sold, your children get sold, and you would never see them. Uh, at least you think you would never see them again. Certainly people tried uh, after the Civil War uh, the formerly enslaved would go looking to reunite with spouses, uh, with, with children, grandchildren, looking everywhere. And some of them were able to track them down. Others never did. Uh, and so think of sort of the pain of a home being disrupted that way. Uh, but then also add to that, uh, homes being disrupted because loved ones, family members are killed. Just think of what happened uh, in the wake of slavery during the Jim Crow era uh, when uh, people were tortured or lynched, and seeing uh, a son, a daughter, uh, a father, a mother killed, uh, and never being able to be with them again. What it was then to hope for heaven was to know that, yes, I can't be with them now, but I will be with them one day. It's to hope fully that, yes, heaven is going to be not this sort of like antiseptic, you know, stadium where we're just sort of hanging out and looking at things. No, it's going to be like a home. <laughs> Like, a, like the most precious home possible. And what you see, the richness of which they sung was, this is a place of reunion, of family, of community. So one of the songs was this. Soon I'll be done with the troubles of the world. No more weeping and a wailing. I'm going home to live with God. Another song speaks of how I will see my mother one day and she will shine brighter than the sun. Think of the, the imagery of what that is. I'm going to be with my loved ones, and it will be glorious. It will be magnificent. It's anticipating a future home. And one of the things then that helps us in this life and all the disruption is to prepare for it now. We prepare for it now by really investing in the fact that God always provides home for us no matter what's happening by faith in Christ. That this is home. Those around you who followed the Lord are your home, are your family. Again, Looking to the story of black church tradition, one of the things you should notice is how significant it was, how significant it continues to be in the historic black church to see one another as family, to treat one another as family. Out in the world, for many years, uh, people could be called boy, girl, the N-word. That's what people out there might call them. But in here, in this church, your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, that means you matter. You matter. And I'm going to say that's something that we got to take for us, don't we? We got to carry on from those past believers to say we matter. You matter because we're family. We're home. We're home now. And God is saying we prepare for what God will bring one day for all peoples. A sense that you will always have a place.
that you always be treated with honor and respect, with love, with relationship, with family. How important it is, I think, in a day where many people are isolated, depressed, uh, where many people are suffering the effects of being gossiped about or slandered, uh, where there's a lot of division and separation and all these different things, God is saying one day all those things will go away. Everyone will have a place. Everyone will have community. Everyone will have family. Everyone will have a home. And I'm giving you something of it now in this thing called the church. We hope fully for heaven as a home as we prepare for it now and how we treat one another and call one another family. One last one here. We hope fully for heaven when we hope fully for future reward. For future reward. Here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's a reward for faithfulness. We can anticipate that God will see what you have endured, what we have endured, and will say, well done. Well done. Receive my reward. Be fulfilled. And so we see this in the songs of those past believers. Here's one of the songs. It says, all of God's children got a robe. When I get to heaven, going to put on my robe, going to shout over God's heaven. I've got a crown and you've got a crown. All of God's children got a crown. When I get to heaven, going to put on my crown, going to shout over God's heaven. I've got shoes and you've got shoes. All of God's children got shoes. When I get to heaven, going to put on my shoes, going to walk all over God's heaven. What is this? It's anticipating reward and security. I mean, just even the, the sense of, notice I think the, the, the image here of a robe of shoes. These are basic things. Many of those who were enslaved back then didn't have those basic things. They were putting things together as best they could. And so what they look forward to is not to be like swimming around in some like big vault with gold coins or something like that. <laughs> it's a reward of saying, hey, I see what you've endured and you will be provided for. You'll be safe and secure. But also you'll be recognized. The sense that God's people, that all of us will have a crown is just a way of saying God notices. He's paid attention to what's happening. He saw what this life was for you, and you will be recognized for it in the next life. You will be honored for it in the next life. And it's okay to anticipate that, to expect that for all of God's people who are faithful. This is what they sung, and, and we do well, essentially, to sing the same thing, to anticipate what God would do as we're faithful now and then to prepare for it. And we prepare for it by what? Finishing the race, staying faithful, believing that, yes, we're on an on-ramp, and it may be steep, but we will get to that highway of heaven. Here's one, one black preacher put it back then. If we persevere until the end, until he calls us home, here's what's going to happen for us. There will be a crown of immortal glory, forever glory. It will never fade. No one can take it from it. No name-calling, no segregation, no discrimination, no racism, no persecution, no oppression, no gossip, no losing a job, no losing a loved one. Nothing. Nothing can keep you from God's immortal glory. So God calls us to be faithful, to persevere. To be faithful and persevere knowing that God is going to stick with you until you get there. And bringing in something we've talked about before. What God is calling us to look forward to is not something he says, hey, good luck. I'll see you there on the other side. I'll be looking out for you. <laughs> Hope you get there. <laughs> God says, here's where you're going. And hey, let's get walking. Because I'm going to stay with you till we get there. I'm going to stay with you till you get there. 
So be faithful in God who's not out there but who's basically right next to you and saying, don't you see me? Don't you see me? God's come to us in Jesus so we can always see him right next to us. So that when you pray, you're not praying to someone who's sort of like abstract, some sort of misty cloud or something like that. No, when you pray for God to keep you faithful, you're praying to God who specifically has a name, a human name, Jesus. And this Jesus says, look at me right next to you. All my strength, all my power, all my love is as near to you as possibly can be. It's in you. So hopefully for where we're going, anticipate it, prepare for it, and knowing that I will be with you and help you get there. So where we are now in this life is, well, <laughs> I, I, I don't know everyone's stories. I know some of your stories. I don't know everyone's stories here. Uh, some are up, some are down, some are all over the place. That's what this life looks like and can feel like. But where we're going is a life after this life. And if you've believed in the Lord, it's a life that's with him, a heavenly life. That's why I'll quote the theologian Martin Luther. He says this, basically, there's only two days on my calendar, today and that day. There's two days, today and that day. And so what do we do? We live now knowing that day is coming. Because that day is coming, we got to anticipate it. We got to expect it. We anticipate and expect it through faith in God, through Jesus. Faith in God and Jesus allows us to know, hey, I'm already secure. I'm already headed in that direction. And so we can anticipate by faith in Jesus the justice that he will bring, the future home that he will bring, the reward and fulfillment that he'll bring. And he gives us the patience as we wait for it. And we prepare, though, for that by that same faith, doesn't it, don't we? Faith in God through Jesus empowers us as we then pave the road in that direction. In many ways, what we're doing is doing the building blocks. Right now, God is basically allowing us to build the building blocks of that new heavenly world. The church, to the degree which represents God's justice and righteousness, it represents God's us being family to one another. It represents what it is for us to recognize our faithfulness and encourage each other in faithfulness. Is this little microcosm of what God will bring about all over the world one day. So we pave the road there through living in the ways that God calls us to. Through following the Lord who says, well, who walks before us, behind us, next to us, and within us. He's all around us. Let me finish with this. This comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In that chapter, Paul is describing what's going to happen when Jesus comes one day and we're going to meet him and be with him. And it says, and we will then always be with the Lord. I mean, this is ultimately what it's about. Like what kept believers, those brothers and sisters in the past who suffered 350 years of oppression, what kept them together was the sense that we are not alone. We have our Lord with us. What will keep us together, even as we continue to know we are not alone. We have Jesus with us, and he will be with us always. He comes, he's with us by his spirit, and he'll come one day physically, and we will be with him always. And the verse ends with this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Roosevelt, be encouraged with these words. The Lord is with us. He will come and will always be with us forever. Uh, let's be encouraged by a God who promises a life to come and will walk with us till we get there. Amen.